So welcome to the podcast. My name is Sunil Singh V and this is the most important podcast. Every week on the show, we're joined by a different guest for a conversation about what are the things that really matter to them? What are the things that they really value in their life? Our conversation takes us through a list of questions, including what is their most important person, possession, decision? What's their most important mistake? Now, during each episode, I'll be asking them about some of their most recent projects, but also helping to find out a little bit more about them as people. We're going to be hearing from the likes of body positivity influencer Megan Crabb, aka Body Posse Panda, novelist Lindsay Kelk, artist Ruben Dangor, and many more. I'm super excited for you to hear this. In this episode, uh, we're talking to Dev. This episode was filmed a little while ago and was during Dev's run on Strictly. Now, I think unforgivably, Dev was booted off the show, eliminated far, far too early. But I caught up with him the morning after one of the shows uh, when he was still covered in blue paint from his appearance as the genie on the show um, to talk to him about a whole bunch of things. My relationship with Dev goes back quite a long way. Actually, when I think about it, the length of time I've known Dev dates me incredibly um, in that I first met him back in 2002 when I signed him for One Extra. The thing I always think about when I talk to Dev is underneath that huge smile that you see, is actually a very complicated, nuanced individual. And I think that's some of what you hear today, that actually behind that sort of charm and wit and humour um, is actually a real deep soul. Uh, so I'm excited for you to hear this episode. This is Dev on Most Important. Welcome to the show, Dev. Thank you very much. I am a really weird hue today. I had loads of body paint on me yesterday and the makeup artist informed me after I was covered head to toe Oh, this isn't going to come off in the first wash. You're going to need several scrubs. Um, but I've got it off in, like, the main areas. I might even still have a bit of eyeliner on as well. I feel like my eyes are, like, popping out today. Yeah, very weird. That's so funny. The, the phrase, this isn't going to come off in the first wash. <laughs> it's never something you want to hear, is no, it? It feels, there's something quite sordid about that. But actually, on the show, it looked like it was coming off absolutely everywhere. Yeah, um, I'm a sweater. Uh, profusely, mm. if you want to know how much I sweat, like all the time. And yeah, it was water-based paint. So naturally, the first sign of sweat, I kind of looked like I was melting by the end of the first performance. And it was so physical. There's lifts involved. There's a lot of running and jumping around. Um, so yeah, very, very sweaty. But it was also quite funny how it was rubbing off on everybody. So nobody wanted to be anywhere near me. Nobody wanted to touch me. And it was a bit like, oh, this must have be what it'd be like to have leprosy in like 90 BC or something like no one wants to be anywhere near you it's quite a nice little insight um, so welcome to the show we are here we've got a number of people coming up in the next few weeks and and the essence of the show is to talk about the most important things for you mm. we've got a little list and we're going to run through them um, I make this caveat as I do in all the shows in that I'm going to ask you your most important thing and I am completely aware that whatever you say today, you would probably say something different. Probably <laughs> in an hour's time, I'd say something different. But I yeah. think that's fine, right? Yeah. So just in this moment, we're going to encapsulate now and I'm not going to hold you to any of this stuff afterwards and hopefully anyone listening will uh, not hold you uh, accountable for what you've said today. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> so I want to kick off, um, which is one that actually in recording these shows, everyone has found incredibly hard. Your most important possession. Oh, my most important possession... I'm not going to say my phone. It's definitely not my phone. I guess if I was thinking about it, like if I had to give away everything and just be left with one thing, what would that be? <clears throat> I'm probably going to say like one of my guitars 
and probably my acoustic because then I wouldn't need anything else. Like learning how to play an instrument was really important for me. It it just puts me in this really interesting space when there's a lot of you know madness going on and like my life kind of switches gears very quickly. And to me, that space you're in when you're playing music or learning something new, it's very humbling for a start. Because it's something if you haven't done for a while, it's not like riding a bike. You can't just go back to it and still be good. Um, the only way you, you maintain it is by putting in a little bit of work. But also, you have to kind of exist in this way where you're not thinking about, oh, what am I going to have for tea tomorrow? Or, oh, that interview I've got to do next, next week, let me sit and write this. You have to be very present in order to, like, play and... Like the joy I get off of it as well. It's almost this primal type of joy and happiness and like without like trying to sound naff, you do get a really warm, fuzzy sensation. I certainly do from just playing music. And I remember even from a really young age, it was never enough to just listen to music and enjoy it. I had to understand what's that instrument and you know wh why does that give that emotion and the need to understand you know, even just a basic understanding of music, I remember from a really young age. And my guitar, I think, like, gives me that connection. And even even though I don't play anywhere near as much as I should or I would like to, every time I pick it up, it just, again, gives me that sort of primal... I could lose everything. And if I just had my guitar or just some way of playing or making music, I'd probably still be quite happy. When did you first start playing an instrument? Did you play as a kid or did you play later in life? So I had a really weird really weird sort of stop and go thing with learning instruments. I remember there was there was some old RAS at a youth club I used to go to when I was probably about, or play center when I was about 11 or 12. I remember he used to teach people acoustic guitar. I learned like the first three chords of No Woman, No Cry, which I think is only three chords anyway. But I just remember going, oh, that's cool. I've kind of done that. And then immediately moved on to the next thing. And I remember I had this little Casio keyboard when I was a little bit older and I'd learned Beverly Hills carp on it. <laughs> I, was, I was 17 when I started getting like legit guitar lessons once a week, was exposed to all this like different music and like really, really got into it. I think about 22, 23, that's when I decided, oh, I want to study. It's not enough to just have the odd guitar lesson. I want to get really, really good at a particular instrument. So this was after DJing, after kind of like being into, into music, first properly learning at about 17. Have you got anywhere you're going with it? Like, do you, do you imagine like writing your own songs or performing on stuff? Or is that more for your mental headspace, enjoyment, passion? So I, I'm, I do make music and I produce. I have releases like every so often, like maybe once or twice a year. But that is such a personal, for want of a better phrase, like passion project. Like I, even if I'd never released music, I'd still make it. Mm. The, the joy I get from, I love being in the studio, I love working with other artists and singers and having ideas and concepts and it all coming together. And again, without wanting to sound naff, that to me is like the closest thing to magic that you can have is starting with a blank canvas and nothing and then creating something really beautiful with music. And I think that's why I've been reluctant to share that side of myself and tell everybody like I never scream from the rooftops oh I have a new EP out or something and 
even the music I release is under a pseudonym and I don't really talk about it because it's so personal. I don't make music or release it necessarily because I want to become famous or make money or anything like that. It's something I feel like is within me to do. And I, I, I think I'd be quite unhappy if I wasn't able to, to do that in any way. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so next on the list is uh, most important place. Ooh, that is a tough one. Most important place. <sighs> Man, there's like a lot. There's a lot of places that are so significant to me and places that I really like to visit. All right, this might be a bit of a weird one. My most important place, I'm going to go with Canvey Island slash Southend. <laughs> Unexpected. <All> right. <laughs> it's because... So I, I come from a working-class family. We never had money. And we would have these caravan holidays in the summer that you would look forward to all year. We had a tiny little caravan in Canary Island and we would go there as a family. So it would be me, my twin sister, my older sister, my brother and my mum. Five of us squeezed into a tiny caravan that would comfortably fit two people. <laughs> There's five of us in there. And we would just have the time of our lives. You know, we would laugh, joke... You know, there's the occasional mental scarring, like you might wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, might see my mum weeing in a bucket in the kitchen slash bathroom area. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we would get, you get a little bit of pocket money, you go down to the seafront, you go in the arcades and like seeing a row of arcades, the claw machines and the, I don't know exactly what they've called them. You know, like, they've made a game show out of it though, where you put the penny in. Oh yeah, and it slides it down. It slides down and then it pushes other yeah. pennies in and... Like, I still get a little bit choked up when I see that stuff just because it, it brings back so many fond memories. And I had such a happy childhood. It was just riding bikes and eating donuts on the beach. And it was such a it was such an amazing time. And you obviously couldn't appreciate it then, but there was no responsibility. I don't remember fighting or arguing with my family at all. It was just always the best. And even, like, I remember one time uh, finding some money, spending it all on sweets. And I'd gone into one of these arcades and or one of the shops along the, the, the pier and bought, like, this like, ridiculous, this ridiculously big bag of humbugs. And I was probably about 11 years old. And my mum putting them in the back of the car and as we were driving back from South and I'd got into the boot <laughs> through, the, through the back seat taking out these bag of humbugs and just ate them one after another, one after another, one after another. But 40 minutes into the journey, was sick all over myself. <laughs> and I'll never forget. Stripes. Just, right, just right down my front. Sick all over myself. My sister fast asleep next to me. And I'll never, I got this memory of my mum having all the windows wound down in the car, refusing to stop, because we're probably only about 25 minutes away from home. And then the wind hitting the sick <laughs> on my chest, which made it all cold. And my mum reassuring me, we're going to be home in a minute. It's OK. Just but like, I'm freaking out. So you're like, ah, oh, sick all over me. And then my mum convinced me for about 15 years after that, that I was allergic to humbugs. And it only dawned on me, like, in my mid-20s, I was like, wait a minute, I'm not allergic to humbugs. I just tried to eat 400 in one sitting. Um... But just there were there were so many stories like that where there were just all kind of mishaps and silly things happening that 
like I still go now, like Southend does still go once or twice a year. And I just, again, just hold such a special place in my heart because there's so many amazing memories that I have of being a kid there. Amazing. So we're going to go on from there and you've, uh, in true radio DJ fashion, you've given me the best segue because the next on the list was your most important memory. So I remember being really into basketball at 15 and uh, one of my coaches at the time had got me signed up to this invitational basketball camp, which was in New York. And three weeks before I went out to New York, I nearly got robbed. There were these kids in my area who approached me one day. I thought I must know them because they were in my area. And they approached me one day and tried to take my phone off me. And like the only reason they didn't get it is because, you, you know, those, you remember those um, Adidas tracksuit bottoms, right? Like the zips. Yeah. Do you remember if you tried to zip it down too quickly, it would get caught on the... <laughs> So I got these like four kids trying to take my phone out of my pocket and the zip gets caught and they ended up getting annoyed and just like kind of like, like wandering off and like, I ran away. I remember thinking I was like really angry at the world. I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I'm never going to let myself get robbed. And it put me in a really dark space. Three weeks later, I fly out to New York on my own to be at this invitational basketball camp, which is with all these other kids. Um, the second day we were in New York, we were staying in South Harlem at this, um, it was a University of Columbia. So bear in mind, first time I've ever been away on my own, first time I've ever been abroad, and I'm 15 on my own in South Harlem with all these other kids from all around Europe, and, you know, like, I'm bricking it. I, I, I'm scared, and but it's also really exciting because you're in New York. Second day I'm there, I went to this gym, and I wore a light blue T-shirt, light blue shorts and some matching trainers. So I sat in this gym on my own watching this pickup game. Just like, yeah, man, I'm in New York. This is great. These kids walk in, take one look at me and bearing in mind, I'm sat on these bleachers by myself. These kids take one look at me and they come and sit either side of me and one kid in front of me, like right next to me. They're gonna sit anywhere and I'm thinking, What's going on here? Now, bearing in mind, I'd nearly been robbed, like, you know, a few weeks beforehand. So I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I come all the way to New York and the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to get robbed as well. So one kid turns around, taps me on the leg, like, quite aggressively. He goes, why are you wearing all that blue? And I said in, the, in my most British accent, I was like, oh, I, I don't know. I just, just decided just to try and wear some matching stuff. And immediately they said, oh, where are you from? I was like, oh, I'm from the UK. I'm, f- I'm from London. They went, listen, this is a blood neighbourhood you don't wear light blue around here. And I got scared. I was like, all right, sorry, guys. They left me alone. Oh, no, I, f- I forgot the, the most terrifying bit. They started laughing and they said to me, do you know that we cut people for less than that? And I went, what? And I turned around to the guy who was on my right. He pulled a razor blade out of his mouth. <laughs> Shows me his razor blade. He's like, yeah, we cut people for less than that. And they're <laughs> laughing, laughing. So I go to one of their head coaches that night and they give us a seminar that evening, showing us bandanas, or to tell us about the different neighborhoods, the areas that we maybe can't go to, and just to be careful about, you know, what we're wearing. And over the last, over the next couple of weeks, I get really close with two of their head coaches. One of them's uh, Jimmy, who I'm still really good friends with now. Another one of these guys, Jackie. And this is what I think about all the time. One morning, I go with Jackie in the team bus, and we're driving around New York. Every so often. Like, Jackie's a, a legend in New York, particularly around, like, basketball and, you know, like, helping kids and stuff. 
So we'll stop at uh, traffic lights and he'll point over at the corner and be like, guess how old those kids are? So I look over and, you know, this is 2001. So there's, you know, kids in like Pele Pele, like FUBU, you know what I mean? The Durags, the Tims and stuff. I'm looking over, I'm thinking, these kids standing on the corner, I'm thinking, I don't know, like 22, 23, he's like, those two are 14. Next block we go to. How old do you think those group of guys are over there, obviously selling drugs? Um, 20, 21? Nope, they're like 15. So he knows all these kids. And the way he breaks it down to me is, he says, look, if you're from one of these neighborhoods where there's gang activity, from about 11, 12 years old, these older gang members, they'll start to groom you. So you might just be out playing with your friends one day and they'll be like, kid, come in for a sec. Run to the store, just get me a couple of waters. Here's $20. You run to the store, you get him some more, you come back. He's like, no, 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 you hold on to that change. That's yours. Okay. Two weeks later, same guy. Oh, listen, take this, take this package. Just run it down the road for me, yeah? Like, don't open it or nothing like that. Just run it down the road for me. Cool. Few more months later, you're in now. You're part of this guy's, like, you now owe him without even realising it. He's not your friend. He's not somebody who's looking out for you. He's not your peer. You've now become part of this gang, essentially. You're going to be asked to hide stuff. And, and and then if you refuse, you're then going to get hounded by other younger gang members who are trying to make a name for themselves. So what Jackie was telling me is you're trapped. You either get beaten up and robbed every day or you join a gang Essentially, they're going to take you out of school and that's going to be your life now. You're going to have a criminal record by the time you're 16. Your life is over. And I remember sat in that van thinking, I can't wait to go home. <laughs> I had, like, New York was amazing, but it was terrifying. Like The relief I had when I came back home and I remember thinking, I can do anything. Back here, sky's the limit. I don't have any of that pressure around me. I can go to school, I can get an apprenticeship, I can, I can do anything. And I think about that sometimes, and I don't like using the word lucky that much, because I feel like, you know, luck is like winning a raffle or whatever, but I do consider myself very lucky to have grown up in an area where that wasn't even an issue. I never would have had to make that decision, oh, do I join a gang or not? It put me on this uh, pathway because I, I look. I had friends who got involved in, in in dodgy business, and I just always remember looking at that, going, "That's not for me." But also, I have options. That's a last resort to me, like that lifestyle. And I always felt like I had options, especially after New York. Yeah, no, I can I can completely relate to that. I think the, I think it is. I think there is a notion of it being terrifying. Like I, I lived in um I lived in San Francisco for a while, and I, I live in San Francisco at an age of like 30 plus years old where you're so detached from all of that, right? You're not in that world anymore. You're not like, you're not on street corners. Mm -hmm. You're not coming out of clubs late. And I was walking down the street one day and like I've lived in London long enough to know when something's problematic, right? Yeah. You know, you catch a look and you're like, right, there's a problem right now. And I was with my Your, peri your peripheral yeah. vision gets yeah. very good. Yeah. But yeah, I was in this, I was on the street in... um in San Francisco, out like out in Oakland, not in San Francisco, out in Oakland. And I was with my daughter, who was four at the time. And there's a guy walking towards me, and he's got his hand fully down the front of his trousers. So he walks towards me, and he's got his hoodie on, like over just one shoulder. And I looked at him, and I was like, that guy's carrying. Like, I just knew. As soon as I saw him, I was like, that guy's carrying. And he saw me 
make him. Like, you saw that moment, and I was like, <laughs> what do I do now? And I was heading towards this, like, old-fashioned arcade. Like, it was full of pinball machines from, like, the 50s. And, like, I got to the door, and in that, like, split moment, I was like, I'm just going to push Lois through the door. Like, th that was like... And I don't even know, like, at the time, I was like, this is probably a shit idea. But I just sort of opened the door and pushed her through it. And as I pushed her through it, he punched me in the face. No way! So I, I turned and I saw the blood go up against the window from my nose and I saw Lois on the other side. And then I felt him hit me in the ribs. And as he hit me in the ribs, I was like, I'm getting stabbed. Oh, my God. And I was literally looking at Lois, and I was like, I'm getting stabbed, and this is what's going to happen. I'm going to bleed out looking oh at her. Oh, God. And then in that moment, like, something happened. Like, there was, like, a noise in the street or something, and he just ran. And it hadn't been a knife. It was just him punching me. But, like, in that moment where you're, like, not quite focusing on it. And I had a similar thing where you're, like, you just, you just realise that although you've been around it and you've seen stuff and, like, there are definitely moments in my life where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have been here right now. Like, I'm, I'm sort of with you, it's not luck, but you have to be just insanely grateful. And, like, one of the things I'm really grateful on is, like, my daughter Lois is, like, I mean, all parents are biased, but I think she's pretty smart. She's never referenced it. She's wow. never, ever said anything about it. And she remembers loads from that time, but she's never said, like, do you remember that time where we were in an arcade and you walked into the bathroom with me and you were pouring blood from your nose and were, like, cleaning yourself up for 15 minutes? And I was like properly shaking oh my um, goodness. but it was horrendous but that notion of being grateful i think is so important um and i think like having that time just to go because you can you can breeze through life and you can be like oh I'll make my own luck like some sort of like apprentice candidate <laughs> but no one does and i think the reality of just being like humble enough to say i'm grateful i'm lucky I'm, if you're religious blessed whatever it is for you i think that's so important to like not ever lose that moment where you can just be like um this is some the the manifestation of good fortune right and um, you, you don't want to let it affect how you are like for me when i when i only got robbed you know i could even consider carrying a knife because i thought i'm just not gonna let this happen to me but i think over time the way i process that is never forget that that is out there like we live so, almost like a parallel universe, you know, regardless of what your job is and what you do and what you put out there, there are people out there who just want to hurt you or, and it's not like it's affected the way I trust people or whatever, but I, it, it, to some extent, I have my guard up a little bit around people and I'm almost ready for it as an eventuality. I want to believe the good in people, but I also... I also make sure that I'm never naive to that kind of thing, that that is a possibility. I'm more looking over my shoulder a little bit or aware of my surrounding. Yeah. Where are my exits? Like, <laughs> How many people do I have to push out the way to like run away? Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to come back because you were talking about Jackie there. Uh, one of the other ones on the list is um, most important person. There's a caveat here that it can't be a family member. All right. Okay. So we don't offend anyone. Yeah. I don't want anyone being like mad no, at you afterwards. <laughs> most important person in your life. Oh, man, do you know what there's... There's a lot I can choose. Like, I've been fortunate. I don't have a close relationship with my dad, but I've been fortunate enough to have some very positive male role models in my life who have shown me that you can get respect without, you know, you can demand respect rather without being aggressive or in people's faces. But when I think about someone, I think really went out of their way to put me under their wing, to kind of 
give me the tools and just kind of set me off on, on a path was Ray Paul, who used to work for One Extra, was at one point um, head of specialist on One Extra, was also head of weekends at Radio One for a while. He was my manager for a while. Um, and then now has his own company, Playmaker Group, who like look after all these amazing artists. And I remember being on One Extra, I did Saturdays and Sundays, which you know about because you produced you produced my show at one point. And I remember being cut from Saturdays and Sundays to just Saturdays. Wilbur Wilberforce, who was working for One Extra at the time, I remember him calling me into his office or to come and chat to him. He said, can I play you something that went out on your show last Sunday? <laughs> like, cool. And it was a grime collective from Yorkshire called the Yorkshire Terriers, I think, <laughs> who were amazing, but maybe not for half past 12 on a Sunday. After Fitz... On God's Day. Who would, <laughs> after Fitz, who would do, like, the gospel show on One Extra. And shortly after that, I got cut from Saturdays and Sundays and just Saturdays. And I thought, all right, well, this is me on my way out. And I, I loved doing radio right from the first day. I loved doing radio, but I just, I, I never felt like I was any good at it. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And, and I remember Ray, bearing in mind, he's not anything to do with daytime. He just came up to me one day in, in, in the corridor and said, can I talk to you for a minute? And we went and sat in that, that little one extra meeting room, that legendary room. And he went, can I ask you, what is it you want? Which is, that's a difficult question in itself, isn't it? And, and at this point, you're like, what, 19 years old? About 19, yeah. yeah. So I've been on One Extra for a couple of years, but I still didn't really know what I was doing with my career. or I, I just had no idea. All I knew was I loved doing radio and I, I just wanted to do that. So that's what I said to him. I went, well, I love doing radio. I'd like to do it more. My show's just been cut to just Saturdays 12 till 2. Um, I would just like to be on a lot more. And he said, all right, leave it with me. And then over a course of a year and a bit, I would fill in for everybody. So I'd filled in, you know, I'd done daytime, I'd done a couple of specialist shows. And every so often, Ray would drop in and say things like, all right, for this next thing you're gonna do, you're not gonna use any beds, no music. You're just gonna talk over dry air. It's just gonna be you talking. And he had this big thing of getting outside of your comfort zones. Kept going on, kept drilling it into my head. You have to get outside of your comfort zones. You're never gonna learn, you're never gonna get better if you just stick to what you know. And very quickly, my confidence grew and about a year later, I was offered one extra early breakfast, six to eight in the morning. Then we had this dinner about six months into that and he said the same thing. Turned to me, he was like, what is it you want now? And I went, um, I don't know, maybe maybe a slightly later slot on one extra. And he said, I reckon in about 18 months you could be on Radio One. And I'm 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 not just saying this to be dramatic. Dad never even entered my mind. I'd never even thought of that about, about that before. Like, that's not a pathway. You're on one extra for a few years and then you got onto Radio One. That's that's not a thing. And you know, sometimes until somebody opens a door or just kind of suggests something to you, you don't even consider, oh, would I be good enough to do something like that? Sure enough, 18, 18 months later, I'm on Radio 1. Like, I have my own show on Radio 1. And since then, Ray's been such a mentor and 
to to feel like someone like that has gone out of their way to help me and constantly checks in to see how I'm doing it 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 just really meant the world to me and like I mentioned earlier I, I never had a close relationship with my dad but that kind of father figure someone who doesn't want anything just wants the best for you is never going to bullshit you is always going to tell you how it is that was completely life-changing for me and when I look back at it now I, I, I probably would have fallen into obscurity had we not just had that chat just a simple what is it you want from Ray the next one is um most important piece of advice you've ever received oh man I've had I've had some really good really good advice over the years I know this is um I know this is a bit of a cliche one but I think that there's a lot of cliches that ring true. It's that it's that thing that Ray said to me and he hammered it into my brain about the comfort zones thing. And when I think about it now, even just the last two years, I did MasterChef, SAS Who Dares Wins, and Strictly Come Dancing. Cooking, climbing mountains and getting beasted. <laughs> and then dancing on national telly. Oh, I thought the getting beasted was the dance. <laughs> <laughs> like, three things that completely new for me and I didn't even think twice about it you know I'm constantly looking for a new challenge and a way to stimulate my brain and learn new things amazing um, so we've only got a, a couple left um, and then and then I'm going to let you go and maybe actually have some time off <laughs> um, but the uh, the next one on the list is your most important decision you've ever made oh, most important decision in my head it was getting rid of the yellow braids <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, that's definitely up there. <laughs> Not having bleached blonde braids anymore. Oh my god! What was I was thinking, um, oh, that's a real tough one because I've made some terrible decisions in my life. I really do. <clears throat> I really do feel that way. I had a mate that I met when I was at uni. Uh, when I went to go and study music, I was already about 24, 25, so already like older than everybody <laughs> in the class. I was like considered a mature student. And it was also a music school, separate from like the big main campus. So it was a very close, tight-knit um, group of people. And I went to do a, just do a diploma. Uh, I loved it so much that I went straight on to do a degree. And during the diploma, I met... Whenever I talk about this, it sounds like I'm, I'm talking about a failed marriage. But I met this guy, so talented, like one of the most talented people I've ever met. And we hung out and stuff. We played music together. And he explained to me he wouldn't be able to do the degree because he lived too far away and commuting and stuff would be a problem. I was like, dude, I've got a spare place. I've got a spare room in my place. Just come crash up mine. Don't worry about rent or anything like that. You know, I was on Radio 1 at the time. I was like, don't worry about that, bro. Like, we're good. And it was my understanding, all right, if I give this super talented person a place to stay he hasn't got to worry about any of that now all he has to worry about is just music he can just concentrate on music and just concentrate on getting really good and for the first two years that's what happened i watched this guy go from he'd never even he'd never produced a beat in his life and within six months he was producing some of the best beats i've ever heard he would stay up all night every night for two weeks in a row and wouldn't let me hear what he was working on and would suddenly play me something and I'd go, that's a masterpiece. That's incredible. Like, it's the closest I've ever seen to genius. Like, this guy was incredible. And then after that, after we'd finished our degree, 
he slipped into a bit of a depression. You know, as, as talented as he was, he wasn't a very good people person. He was a bit of an introvert. I'd take him out places to socialize. You know, he wasn't very comfortable doing that and I was all fine. But then we stopped making music together. And that's when it became weird and a bit of a problem. I started thinking, look, like, what am I doing? What, what has this relationship become? Like, you live in my house, you don't pay any rent or anything. We don't make music together. We don't hang out. Like, what is this? So I tried to bring it up with him a few times. He got really defensive about it. And I made the decision to go, you know what? You got to go. And I remember one time I came home, there's this pile of washing up. There's a overflowing bag of rubbish with a new bin started next to it. There's mice running around the flat. And I said to him, I was like, dude, if you're not going to pay any bills, come studio, make any music, the very least you could do is keep this place tidy. I said to him, I've got a gig in Cambridge tonight. I'm staying there. I'm going to be back tomorrow. You have to do that washing up. That's on the side. You know what this guy said to me after four years, no rent, me paying for everything. You know what he said to me? I'll do it, but you have to wash up the bowls. I was like, are you kidding? What is happening right now? What? So I went to my gig. I came back the next day. There's still a pile of moldy washing up on the side. Ironically, he was at the studio with my sister, annoyingly, like the first time we have been to the studio in months. Um, I, uh, I did the washing up, I timed myself, it took me four and a half minutes to do it. And I went into his room, I packed all of his stuff, put it in suitcases, I phoned him up, and I was like, dude, tell me where you need to go, I'll get a cab to come get you and send you wherever he is you need to know, back to your mum's or wherever, because you ain't staying here. And he came back, we had a chat, da 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 da, da for like we sorted some bits out, but I was also like, it's done. Like, this is over. Again, some, some marriage I'm talking about. But that, that, is, that is almost how it felt, you know? And when he, we still haven't spoken since when he'd left, you know, we, we, we had this chat, felt like we got off my chest, but I still was like, well, I've made my decision. And then what I did after that, was all that attention I was putting into him, all that effort where I was trying to get him to come studio, trying to get him to release his music and trying to build him up, I put all that effort into myself. And within three weeks, I put out an EP. I was finishing music. All these things I've been saying I was going to do for ages. And what I realised I was doing, is it was almost easier to put that effort into somebody else. It's easy to kind of put what you want to do to the side because you're like, oh, well, I'll get round to that. But right now I'm being really helpful. And so... I used to say, right now I'm going to be selfish. But that goes to show you how far the other way I went. How is putting effort into your own passions being selfish? That isn't. And, you know, when I, I recognise that pattern of behaviour around me now. When I see people doing that, it really gets to me because, you know, I've, I've been through that and I, I know exactly what that's like. But now I'm in that space of I have to... I have to pursue those passions that I'm that my interests. And, and and what has happened after that is the people that I attract around me in my circle now are people who are doing their own thing and you can come together as more of a collaboration. Like whatever it is, I'm not just talking about music, I'm talking about friendships, relationships, whatever. You know, I, I I'm not going you're meeting in the middle somewhere. Yeah. You're not going all the way out of your way to come and, oh, come to the studio. Well, I'm not interested in that. Mm. Like now, the relationships that I build up around me and my circle are people who have their own thing going on and we're able to meet in the middle and able to kind of offer 
each other something. It's not like this weird one-way symbiotic, like um, reliant relationship or anything like that. And it again, it, it sounds like a failed marriage when I talk about it now, but that whole period of my life, when I look back at it now, I, the only thing I regret, it's not, you know, supporting somebody financially. And the only thing I regret is that he wasn't able to reach his full potential. And I still hope that, I mean, I haven't spoken to him in years, but I still hope that he's making music or, you know, or at, at the very least that he's happy. But you can't make somebody into what you want them to be. Yep. You can try and offer somebody some advice or open a door. But if they're not willing to kind of, you know, make those steps themselves, then you, you can't. There are some people that you just can't help. It was a weird relationship. I look back on it now, like, actually, I learned a lot. I really did learn a lot from that. We've got um, two more, and then we can uh, get you out of here. The most important mistake you've ever made? Wait, there's been a lot of them. <laughs> there's been a lot of mistakes. Um, I think how I'd define a mistake is... Like not, you know, there's the people who say things like this. No, such thing as a mistake, just an opportunity to learn. No, we've (laughs) or I've made mistakes. I've done things where I've hurt people I really care about. My first proper girlfriend, I was about twenty or twenty-one, and I was always nice to her, you know. But when I wasn't with her, like you know, I cheated on her, and I wasn't very considerate in that way. Like, I cheated on her a lot. You know, I was, at that point, just started doing all these, like, national DJ gigs where I'd rock up to a nightclub in God knows where, and all of a sudden you're getting all this attention from from girls, and you go from, like, the only way you can be a good DJ is to be in your room, on your own, for many, many years. And then even... When you start playing parties, you're not really in the party, are you? You're like on your own in the DJ booth. So let's just say I fully indulged in that attention I received from like girls. When I was in my early 20s, I was like, this is great. Like, I didn't, you don't really have to try it. So I'd confided in a good friend of mine about all these times I cheated on my girl and all these awful things and that person ended up telling my my girlfriend at the time. And the way that she found out about it and how I could see how much it had hurt her and the fact that we've not said two words to each other since, and this is, this is you know, 12 years ago. And in fact, a few years after it happened, I'd, I'd send her a message every year just saying something, you know, I miss you, da, 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 some bollocks, whatever. I remember one time I'd sent her an email and asked her if we could meet up just to chat. And I like I just had all these things I wanted to say to her. And she said, well, I don't have anything to say to you. And the reason you want to meet up and the reason you want to talk through all these things is for you. You need closure on this. I'm fine. Like, I'm over it. And you want to do, you want to do all that stuff to make yourself feel better. And that was really hard to accept. You know, I was obviously angry and, oh, no, it's not. I just want to, and the more I thought about it, I was like, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, that's, like, how dare I, as a person who's done that to somebody, then just pop up again a few years later and go, by the way, 
come and meet me, dig up all this pain and anguish again so that I can look back at the situation and feel better about it. And even though, you know, I don't think we were going to get married and have kids or whatever, to know that she was so amazing. She had such a pure heart. She never would have done that to me, ever. To know that I'd hurt somebody that cared about me so much like that, that's still really hard to accept. And I wish I could tell you that I didn't do it again, but that would be a lie. I have cheated on people that I've been with. And I don't know, like, I, I guess, you know, I don't know how I want to break it down, but sometimes there's part of me that maybe feels like I don't deserve to have a good relationship or uh, there's certainly an element of my behaviour that is self-sabotage. Mm. But, yeah, if we're talking about mistakes, as in if I could rewind the clock and erase that, and I don't even want it to be that so that we were still together afterwards, just so that I didn't hurt somebody that cared about me so much. Yeah, that was... That was probably one of like the worst things I've ever done. And even how she found out about it was just... Oh gosh, it was the the worst thing ever. But that was um, that was horrible. That, that was something I shouldn't have done. Okay, I want to thank you so much for your time. For your this was cathartic. Yeah, I'm like, sleepy answers. after this. This was <laughs> this was like you'll, therapy. You'll rest easy tonight. Um, yeah. I've got one last question, uh, which I haven't pre warned you on, and is the hardest of them all. Uh, most important song. <sighs> My most important song. Well, I actually got a tattoo for the most important song. It's a Led Zeppelin lyric, which um, it's not actually the... I'm just showing it for you. Yeah. It's not actually the bit of the song that really got me, but anyway, the, the, the tattoo is good times, bad times, you know I've had my share. But the lyrics of the song that really got me, this was not that long after I'd broken up with... We had that horrendous breakup that I just told you about. Driving, like driving down the A406 or something like that with all the windows down <laughs> in like my early 20s and Good Times, Bad Times comes on and I must have listened to that song a thousand times and that day I was listening to it every single lyric hit me in the chest like oh my god I get it I understand and the opening of that song in the days of my youth I was told what it means to be a man now I've reached that age, I try to do those things the best I can. Now, the way that is phrased to me, okay? The days of my youth, I was told what it means to be a man. Now I've reached that age, I try. Not I do, I try. And I almost felt my shoulders drop at that moment. Like, do you know what? It's enough to try and be a good person. We're all flawed. None of us are perfect. But if you're actively making an effort to be good, to make the right decisions, that's enough. You're still going to mess up. You're still going to end up hurting people along the way or whatever. But that, to me, was just such a light bulb moment. Like, you know what? Yeah. If I know that in my heart I have the best intentions, I'm not bad-minding anybody. I don't, like, you know, wish badness on anybody. Like, that's, like, that's fine. And, like, I still... I still think about that now. Like when I make decisions and things that I say, especially in today's climate, I think it's so much about intention. You know, when someone gets strung up in the news for a tweet that they put out a few years ago or 
someone says a joke or something and all of a sudden everyone wants to get them sacked and, oh, you should never work again. I'm always thinking, but what was the intention? If the intention is it was just a joke, you just wanted to make somebody laugh, you didn't mean nothing by it. Like, I say things to my friends every day that would get me sacked, you know, but it's all in jest and I don't mean it. I don't, I don't feel like I'm a mean-spirited person or anything like that. So... Yeah, I, I, I often think about that. And even now, like, thinking about it, I'm getting goosebumps. When that moment happened, I'd heard that song that I'd listened to loads and loads of times before, but just on that day, really hit home. That You know what? As long as I'm trying to be a good person, that's enough. It's fascinating. I think, I think there's something in that, and there's a little part of me that wants to stop consuming all popular culture and then revisit it. So actually, there's a little part of me that goes like, actually, if I could go back and read every book again, hear every song again for the first time, like watch every TV show again, that I'd have different reactions to different things. Yeah. Like there's a little element of like, actually, you need that time and place to actually understand the resonance of something. And like when you hear it again, like I remember hearing nowhere near to the level you're talking about there, but like Noah and the Whale, Blue Skies and thinking any record, just like any record. And then splitting up with a girl and hearing that record again. And that lyric about um, this is the last song that I'll ever write while I'm still in love with you. Wow. And just being like, just being completely separate from like, oh, middle of the road record to nothing's ever the same. Like just hearing that lyric and just being like, that moment is gone. I'm carrying on from there. But I just want to say thank you once again. Um, you've been an amazing guest. Thanks for having me, man. This was really fun. <laughs> this was really fun. I really enjoyed this. Thanks a lot to Dev. Super great to have him on the show. Um, and I loved just how absolutely candid he was with some of those answers. Now, I tell you what would be helpful. If you don't mind, head over to wherever you get your podcasts and do a little rate and review for me. Let me know what you thought of this week's episode. If you want to hear more about the show, make sure that you're following me on Twitter and Instagram where I'll be giving you all the background and letting you know which guests are coming up in future weeks. So follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Ilsum. You've been listening to the most important podcast with me, Sunil Singhvi. 